Something I have not said in a long time is I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Romans. Uh, I was reluctant to start Romans again because it is uh, it's such a deep book and it's so hard not seeing you and talking to you through Romans as we've done for many years. And so I was reluctant. I put it off forever. That's why we did Psalm, Psalm 119. And I thought, okay, well, I, Psalm 119 is huge. The pandemic will definitely be over before I finish Psalm 119. And then into Christmas and then some fillers in there. And uh, you know what? By God's grace and providence, um, I am not sure that there is any better time to be in Romans 14 than now. Uh, in, in our lifetime, there is no better time to be in Romans 14 than this season, this virus that has the world on hold and has fueled meaningless hatred, the time where family members are torn apart and disagree, where members of the same church feel a lack of unity and not simply because of physical distance. This time in history where there are more opinions than snowflakes, this time is a time to come under God's word and study Romans chapter 14. Let me tell you why. Because Romans 14 addresses how to live in Christian liberty. How to live in Christian liberty. Liberty, of course, meaning freedom. How to live in Christian freedom. This is not talking about the freedom that we have in our Charter of Rights, that is being the freedom to exercise religion in our country. This is talking about freedom... In Christ, from the law. But of course, as we must discuss, this is not a license to sin. It is not to do whatever we please. Christian liberty is a freedom to have a difference of opinions. It's a freedom to have a difference of convictions, even. Which is very hard. It is hard. We know as believers in Christ, there are mountains to die on. Things to stake our life upon and say, if you're wrong on this, you're wrong. And I will, I will die so that you'll be true on this. There are mountains to die on. Things that will determine if, if a person is belonging to Christ or not. If they are saved or not. It, it determines heaven or hell for a person. There are mountains to die on. But then... There are a bunch of molehills, some other mountains that are really important. But Christian liberty allows for a difference of opinion. And it's really difficult because there are some mountains that I have. It's not mountains to die on, but I am strongly convicted of. And I think it is a, a, a biblical position. And, and it really does transform the way I live and the way I think, the way we do church. And yet... I'm not going to say a person who doesn't believe it's not a believer. And that's what I mean by, you know, the mountain to die on. Am I willing to say this person's not a believer because they don't agree with me? So there's a bunch of really important mountains. One for, for me and for us is believer's baptism, is an example. It is a significant mountain, and I think it is a biblical thing that, that baptism is only for believers. But I'm not willing to say that my Presbyterian and Reformed brothers and sisters are not Christians because they don't believe in that. Because they believe in pedo-baptism or infant baptism. They're not willing to say they're not Christians. But it is significant. You know what? With our, Pres our Orthodox Presbyterian and Reformed brothers and sisters, we could do a ton of ministry together. We, we could work side by side in a ton of things. We believe the same. 
We could lead Bible studies together. We could uh, do much ministry together, but we could not plant a church together because when it comes down to it, who do you baptize? And it's convictionally important to us that we baptize only believers and that we don't even call infant, uh, infants getting wet baptism. That, that's me. I don't call it baptism because it's biblically, it's not. Uh, the language of the Bible does not mean baptism is you sprinkled water on somebody ceremonially. It is dunking someone. Uh, and biblically, all we see is dunking people who have already believed in faith. And so that's just a conviction that is a mountain that is very significant, but yet I'm not willing to die on it. I'm not willing to stake my brother or sister's life or salvation on it. And so there is, that's in our Christian liberty, we have the right to have a different conviction. It may be a strong conviction, but it might be different, and even a difference of opinions. You know, as well as I do, you hear of uh, all these petty little things throughout church history that there's been church splits over, right? Color the walls, color the carpet, whether there was a guitar or not. Like, that happened also, P.S., when organs came in and when pianos came in. So don't think that just because you're opposed to drums that you are the holy one. Uh, it happened with organs and pianos too. But those are differences of opinions that as Christians we have the liberty and freedom to disagree upon. We have the freedom to disagree upon vaccination or not vaccination. We have the freedom to, uh, to believe wearing a mask is beneficial or not beneficial. We have all of these freedoms within our own personal private lives that we cannot impose on another person. And so it's important for us to understand that Christian freedom is not just about your freedom to have an opinion. It's also about the freedom of another to have an opinion. And that is difficult. Especially when you are convicted and you know for a fact one thing or another, especially when it comes to doctrine and teaching. If you're convicted of something, it is difficult to let someone else uh, ultimately believe something different when you're absolutely convicted. So it's hard to live in Christian freedom when you're not just thinking about yourself as free from the Mosaic law. You're thinking about freedom of opinion and difference. And how do I love and serve and live with believers who I disagree with. That's Romans 14 in a nutshell. And, but before we look at this chapter about how one is to live in Christian liberty, we must get a backdrop. And we're going to get a backdrop simply from Romans 1 through 13. But biblically, if you are biblically literate, if you've read through the Bible, you will sense exactly, as Romans has kind of unpacked, uh, where we're going and, and how we got to this point of Christian liberty to begin with. How is it that we're even free and even that there is difference of opinion and that there, there is freedom to disagree? How, how do we live in Christian liberty? Well, we have to know how we are living at all. And obviously, the book of Romans has brought us thus far. As I was preparing for this sermon, I, I seriously considered just reading to you chapters 1 through 13 because I pretty much quote them all, and I thought, it would have just been great for me to just read them. 1 to 13, and that would have been it. Um, but you can go ahead and do that this week. You might think, that's a lot to read all of Romans. It's not. The book of Romans, for the average reader, takes one hour to read. One hour. I'm sure you watch more than one hour of TV in a week. You can read the book of Romans to benefit your soul. Even if you're a slow reader, it'll take you two hours. Or super slow, it'll take you four hours. 
Most people watch four hours of TV on average a day. We can definitely read the book of Romans, but uh, I will give us a, a walkthrough of Romans. Because, and it's really important to think about because if we're now living in Christian freedom and liberty, how did we get there when we were once slaves? And, and why is it so important to remember what we once were when we're thinking about our freedom and our liberty and our opinions? It's really important to remember from where we have come. Else we'll become proud and we will become legalistic. And you know what legalism is? It is legalism is taking your opinion and conviction and requiring it of someone else. That's what legalism is. It's, it's something that the Bible allows flexibility on, but you are hard and fast about it. And so then you say, that person's wrong for not doing it. Um, and so that's, it's important to know because that is just filled with pride. And so we must remember where where we have come from. And so Romans does this excellent job of getting us there, of showing us our past in order to prepare us for living in Christian liberty. And so how did we get here? We got here by, obviously, God creating us in the likeness of himself, but then in kind after Adam. So in our sin nature, we're broken. Right? We are we're absolutely Broken, And because of our brokenness, we're not just like weak. We are sinful. We are rebellious. We are those who uh, wage war against God. From the moment we can utter uh, any words of rebellion, it is against our creator. And so God in the book of Romans shows us where we have come from, kind of what the heart of man is. And it's, remember, it's important to remember from where you have come. Because when you have such a strong opinion later, you're going to remember, oh yes, but I'm a worm. In Romans chapter 1, he's talking about specific people who were given over to their sinful selves. And he said, all right, you want to be uh, embracing your sin. You want to be living in light of your sin. Here's it is. And I'm going to, I'm going to just let you see what your sin nature is made of. And I'm going to let it roll out. And in Romans 1, 29 to 32, it says this, for they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And right there, most of us just turn off and say, okay, they. Right? We think of someone else. They are filled with all of these things I'm about to, to read. But stop for a moment and remember you are part of they. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder. Strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. They're foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They don't only do them, but they approve those who practice them. This is what we're all made up of. This is part of our nature. And, and if you're a Christian in this moment, and when part of that nature seeps through into your day, seeps through into your thought life, seeps through into your activity, you hate it. You hate that that's what you're made up of, that that's your nature, that, that even though it's an old nature, it still impacts you. You still feel the, the pain of it, and it still tempts you. This is what we're made up of. And, and those who practice such things... 
It says, deserve to die. So what do we deserve in this life? What are we entitled to? Death. Death. That's what we are all entitled to. Part of the biggest problem of pride and of difference of opinion is, I'm entitled, right? And I'm entitled. But here, what we're entitled to, Book of Romans, begins with it. We're entitled to die because of who we are at the core. We're totally depraved. It's not just some of us. It's not just part of us. It is, we are wholly affected by our sin nature. We are sinful in every way. And Romans chapter 3 tells us that in verses 10 to 12, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. For all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Remember this about yourself. When, when it comes to you having a difference of opinion with another person. And it says in Romans chapter 6, and it kind of explains how we are trapped in this cycle of this Deserving to die, our entitlement, because, you know, we are foolish and faithless and heartless and ruthless. We are slanderers and haters of God's. Well, why does that continue? Well, Romans 6 explains it in verse 19. You once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. It's just, we're enslaved. And we presented ourselves to our master. The enemy, the devil. And we presented ourselves to him as slaves to impurity, to our, to our nature, to our flesh. And because of that, and because of the uh, unrepentance and the perpetual sinning, we are due not just death, but wrath. Romans chapter 2 tells us that. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Chapter 2, verse 5. In unrepentance, which is at its height pride. In unrepentance, we are storing up wrath for ourselves. For the day of judgment. Because God's righteous judgment will be revealed on that day. And then in, later in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, But those who are self-seeking... That's important. Those who are self-seeking. That's the heart of our sin nature. And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. For them there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. First, the Jew and also the Greek. Oftentimes when we read the, the idea of doing evil, we think, well, that's not me, right? Evil is like... The bad, bad people. But here it just talks about those who are self-seeking and those who don't obey the truth. For them, it says, there will be wrath and fury. Remember, what you're entitled to is death and wrath because of your nature and because of the implications of that nature and how you have embraced that nature for how long. Right? That's what, it, that's what it's like to be not saved, not rescued, this is what you deserve. Death and wrath forever. Now to remember this, where do we come from? Where do we come from? It's always important to remember. 
But then comes salvation. Then comes a rescue. A a moment where God enters into the uh, human realm in order to live on our behalf, die in our place, and be raised victorious. Christ has come. He has come for us. Because we could not rescue ourselves, if we could, if we could muster up the faith or if we could get good enough, Jesus would have died for nothing. He came because we were utterly useless. But he came, and so therefore we are utterly dependent on him. Remember that. You're not only deserving of death, but you are utterly dependent on another. You are not self-sufficient. It's very important to remember. Because when you start thinking about how you have an opinion or a, a conviction that's different from someone else, remember, you're utterly dependent. Anything you have is not your own. But your boast is in the Lord. Well, how are we then saved? How are we justified? How is our record of sin, which is absolutely right and it can be verified, our record of sin greater than the list you would ever produce on paper? How can it be wiped clean? How can it be so? How can we be justified? Well, Romans 3 tells us, 3.28, we hold that one is justified apart from works of the law. It's by faith apart from works. It's by simply saying, I'm not sufficient. I must trust another. And I I wholly throw myself on Jesus. It's not on my works. It's on what he has done to fulfill the law. Because my ability, my efforts to fulfill the law have failed utterly. Even if I do good for really for 20 years, if I have a record of wrong, my record still says I'm wrong. So we're only justified, we're only freed from our record by God through Christ and as we place our faith in him. And then it says we are accounted as righteous by that in Romans 4. And the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Counted. Credited to you as righteousness. Your spiritual bank of debt and uh, wealth in terms of righteousness is abundantly full if you're in Christ. Romans 4, 5, again, I'll say it. It says, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 4, of course, is also reflecting on Abraham and trying to show that it was his faith, not his actions, that God said, Abraham's righteous. It was his faith. It was him just trusting and believing and walking with God, even when it was difficult and impossible, really. So the question is, do you have that kind of faith? And if you do, remember that. Remember that how you were justified. Remember how you have peace with God. In Romans chapter 5 talks about you being at, at peace with God. You were at war with him. You were an enemy of God's. The only way you have peace and are reconciled to God is through the blood of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 also says that making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus did that for us. Remember not only who you once were, but who you have become. Who you become. And it's all by his doing. And so that produces not pride in a person, but complete and utter humility. 
I was weak to begin with. I was deserving of wrath and death. I was dead, drowned on the bottom of the ocean floor of my sin. And that's where I would have remained for eternity. But yet God, in his grace, has plucked me up, given me a new heart to feel, revived me, given me a new nature to love and to serve him. It's all him. It's all him. And so it says when, when we came uh, to faith in Christ, when he has called us to himself and he's brought us to the cross so that we can humbly accept what he has done for us, we've died, right? We've died. That old self and all of its enslavement has died and the chains have been broken. We must remember this. Who we were, who we have become, and who we are becoming. We've become dead to the old man. Romans chapter 6 tells us, verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died still live? We died to sin, sorry, still live in it. We died. We must remember our death to sin. And all that is wrapped up in sin, that is mainly self-seeking. Sin is about me being gratified, me being glorified. So we've died to that. I'm now living then for another. If I, I died to sin, I'm also now alive to God in Jesus Christ. Romans 6 also goes on to tell us about our resurrection. If we had died with him, we now also live. It says in verses 6 and 7, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set, listen, set free from sin. You've been set free from the old master. You've been set free. How? Christ. He has freed us from sin and the plague that comes with it. The the death that comes with it. It's control of our lives. We've been set free from it. From sin. And then we're now made alive as, as free people. We are that captive who was literally set free. Our freedom was purchased, and we are now free. It's amazing to think. Romans 6.14 says, For sin has no dominion over you. It has no dominion over you. It doesn't control you. It's not your Lord anymore. It has no dominion over you since you are not, here's why, since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin has no dominion over you because you're not under the law. Very interesting. That's our freedom. That's our Christian liberty there. We're not under law, but we are under something. We are under a grace. Romans 6 continues in this thread. It says in 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. 
I am speaking in human terms because of our natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We now have a new mission, a new mandate, a new life. We are slaves to sin no longer. We are not ruled and reigned by sin any longer, but we are then committed to God. We are bond slaves to God. We have thrown ourselves on him and say, I want to serve you the rest of my life because you purchased my freedom. So I'm yours. What would you have me to do? We're freed from the law. If you want to turn to Romans 7, I'm going to read just six verses, but they're a little bit lengthy. But it gives us a precise example of this freedom from the law and, and how it makes utter sense when we consider who we are and who we've become. So we are at the very core, no one seeking God, no one doing good, um, slaves of, of sin, uh, deserving to die, delivered. And here it says in Romans 7 verses 1 to 6, Following the discussion of our dying to sin, our being crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. But here, Romans 7 says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you no longer belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear the fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit. And not the old way of the written code. So you see this, a great example, right? A, a marriage covenant only lasts as long as the two people are living. When one spouse dies, that spouse is now free to marry another. In the same way, when we have died, we have died in this example, um, to our old master. The old relationship we had with our sin nature. We've said, no longer. I have died with Christ, and now I am new. I'm living a completely different and new life, and this new life is not under the law of the old master. It's not, it's not enslaved to it anymore. But I am in the way of the Spirit, it said in verse 6. We are free, but what are we free to? We're free in Christ, and we're free to serve others. We see that as the book of Romans carries on after chapter 7, um, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, especially where it, it has this real pinnacle moment where it begins the chapter by saying, um, in your bodies, present yourself as a living sacrifice. 
talks about you sacrificing yourself for the sake of others. You serving God by serving others. Present yourself that way. You are free now. Like, you see the weight of life before Christ and now the freedom of life in Christ that because Christ perfectly fulfilled the law on your behalf, it no longer has dominion over you. And so you are now free in Christ. Doesn't mean you're free to sin? Absolutely not. Romans chapter 6 um, acknowledged that. It said, you know, are we, con- are we to continue in sin so that grace can abound? It says, no, absolutely not. Why would you continue in what you've died to? Why would you continue to do what has um, harassed your Savior and your new spouse and your new life? Don't, don't do that. You're, you're not free to do that. But what you are free is to live in the freedom from the law and that um, especially you look at what Jesus said about what is the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love others. Love God. Love others. That's the law of, of Christ. And we, we only accomplish that through him. And in Galatians, I love it. Uh, Galatians 5.13, Paul says, For you were called to be free, my brothers, only, listen carefully, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. We're called to be free, but don't use that freedom to just serve yourself, to serve your sinful desires. That's wrong. And if you do that repeatedly and over time, you're going to prove that you're not free at all, that you're just enslaved. Right? So that's why you're not to go back and just live a life of, of licentiousness and doing whatever you please, because that kind of life just proves that you're not free at all, that you're just enslaved to your sin nature. Make sense? You're called to be free. But don't use that as an opportunity of the flesh, but serve one another through love. And then in Romans uh, 13, 8 says, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Fulfilled the law is through love. That's how love is fulfilled. That's how the law is fulfilled. And that's exactly what Jesus said is love one another. And so it's interesting when you think about the, the weight of the world upon us at this time and the, the trial that we're going through in this moment where it's sometimes difficult to love other people, especially when they have a different opinion of us, a strong different opinion of us. You see that in America, you know, with the presidential election, a real divide, divide of a country, divide of households, divide of churches. You see that when it comes to what the virus has done to a lot of us, divides in families, disagreements, meaningless hatred. More and more and more opinions every single day. You see the division. But Romans 14 addresses how by God's grace we're to live in Christian liberty. I want to read the chapter for you and then just close with a few remarks. Romans 14 says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, Welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while another person eats only vegetables. 
Let the one who eats, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced of his own mind. There is one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. And none lives, none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account to, of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on, the one, on one another any longer, but rather... Decide to never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let uh, what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another person stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink or wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Here you see examples provided of living in Christian liberty. It gives specifics, which as we go through Romans 14, we're going to uh, give examples as well that we might think about in our own lives. But what I want you to remember is when we're thinking about living in Christian liberty, we think about ourselves and about my freedoms in Christ and, and the decisions that by God's grace I get to make. I get to choose what I'm convicted over on, on, on tertiary things, on, on things that don't really seemingly matter to the salvation of a sinner. But yet I also must think, at the cost of what? At the cost of my brother or sister? At the cost of their faith? So I think not only of my Christian liberty, I think of others' Christian liberty. And it's so important for us to remember from where we have come. I 
I too am like everyone else. My nature is the same. My nature, by, uh, by nature, I was a child of wrath, deserving of punishment and living in slave to sin, as is everyone else, until and unless God rescues them. And it's God. It's not me. It's not that I am holier than you. It is that I am humbled by the cross like you. And then Christ has regarded my helpless estate and praise the Lord he has because then he rescues me and justifies me and makes me new forever and free and, and, and takes off the chains of my sin nature and gives me a freedom to love and to serve him and to serve others. This is where Romans shows us really who we once were, how we're transformed in Jesus Christ, what that means then to be a believer in Christ. You're just walking by faith as the person is next to you. And so do not, do not, in your Christian freedom ever, just think about yourself. Think about how your walking in faith affects the persons next to you walking in faith. Is it causing them to stumble? Is it causing them to struggle in any way? If so, you're no longer walking in love and you're not pleasing God. And so that's what we're thinking about when we think about Christian liberty. And so it's so important to remember where we have come from, what God has done to us, and where we are going by his grace because there is no better time in history to, to study through Romans 14 than now when we struggle in many ways with many opinions from many different sides. But we, ultimately, at the end of it, we do not want to cause anyone to uh, stumble or lose the faith. And we don't want to walk not in love. We want to walk in love, obeying God and helping others in their faith. And so that's what Romans 14 is going to show us. And Romans 1 through 13, if you read it again this week, you will see, yes, utterly, we need to remember, remember these things. Because when it comes to a moment of our freedom, sometimes we're going to have to humble ourselves and remember who we once were and why we are who we are now. It's all by grace. So then we must then extend grace, a grace upon grace upon grace, as we have been shown and given each and every day. Let me pray for us. Father, you are amazing, God. And as we just even spent a moment just reflecting on who we once were and, and even the, the nature that still plagues us at times, it is amazing to us that you would love us, that you would come to reconcile the relationship that we broke Oh God, we are humbled by that. Help us to ever remain humbled by it. Never let us get to a point where we're past thinking we need the gospel to humble us every day. God, we need it. We need it. And especially as we remember that our life is not just our own. It is yours and it's yours for the sake of others too. And So help us to think about others. Not to be continuing in a sinful pattern of self-seeking, but instead to be living and serving you by living and serving others, living for and serving others. God, help us to do this as we think about what it means for me to live in Christian liberty beside another person who gets to live in their Christian liberty too. Thank you for grace. Help me to extend it. Help us to live in it so that you might get the glory. We pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.